0: If you're new here today, a special welcome again to you. And we've been walking through a series on our core values. Core values are one of those things that churches write down, and and frankly, I think need to at times. And and we've kind of approached it this way, is that the core values that you write down is kind of keeps that it's a guardrail that goes, this is where we need to go. And and it forces us in one sense to step back and go, "Is, is this where we're going? Are we headed down this path of those things that we aspire toward? And today we come to another one, but last week we looked at spiritual transformation and we looked at this idea that at times people want to act righteous to become righteous. And that's not where spiritual growth ultimately is found. It's found in a union with Christ and through the word of God penetrating our hearts. That's where it begins. But we have the one on the screen here for today. It's on worship. And we wrote wrote it this way. We value private and corporate worship. God is holy and worthy of our worship and praise. He desires for his people to worship him. Now, on our brochures, well, we widen it just a little bit there. Because it talks a little bit about form. There's a trap that we can get into in terms of form where we look and we define singing as equaling worship. And I would argue it includes singing, but it's not limited to that in any particular way. And one step farther with music is that oftentimes we tend to go, the style of music that we prefer, that's really good worship music. And I think we got to be very cautious there of saying that there are certain styles, we elevate them, and one style is more spiritual than the other. So I don't think you can say that. God uses lots of different styles. When when people oftentimes will ask, this is the most right way to do it, I go, well, how about Gregorian chants? Do we go back to that um, and begin to do that? No, uh, obviously not. Uh, I, I remember being in Kenya. On a missions trip there and we were participating in a, a, a Sunday morning and the worship that was taking place at that church, or a couple churches on Sunday. And their worship was very different than ours. Okay, They had rhythm that we don't have. They were clapping. They were moving. They were swaying back and forth, even the kids at that point. And I'm going to have Larry come up and demonstrate the rhythm that you need here. But um, it was different. I I enjoyed it. It it was good. But, But I think, again, there's the temptation again to go, well, it's just Sunday morning. The worship that we do, the singing, that's really worship. Because there's really... Worship is wider than that. Matter of fact... When you think of worship, you also have to, to say that serving is also, and giving offerings is also worship. Matter of fact, in the giving of offerings, look at First 1 Chronicles 16.29. It says this, Ascribe to the Lord glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. See, when our hearts, when our attitudes are right, when we take the monies even that God has given to us and we drop them in that box out there, uh, on the, in the wall out there, it, you, you understand, that can, can be an act of worship. See, see, we take and we view worship again in two narrow terms. I, I don't know if you realize, there's actually seven Hebrew words for Worship that's translated into the english and only two of them have to do have to really have anything to do with music some of them means to bow down some of them means to raise their hands some of them means to kiss toward uh, all of those pieces are involved as well but the, but the, going farther also serving do we recognize that serving even is an aspect as well? Let me put up Matthew chapter 4 on the uh, on the screen here. Uh, this is one, an interesting one. and It has some overtures of worship as well. Look how it goes. Again, devil. This is the temptation of Christ. Took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Now, notice the response of Jesus. Jesus said to him, away with me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was connecting here, worship and serving him because he understood what Satan was saying is that in inviting Jesus to worship him, it included a type of authority that he wanted Jesus to give him authority and to serve him. Folks, we worship when we serve Jesus. We worship as we serve the body of Christ. We worship when we're serving people out in the community, when it's in Jesus' name, when when the attitudes of our heart are right. Uh, In the newsletter... Um I, I don't know if you've had a chance to read that. I would by the way, I'd really encourage you to read that. There's just a lot of information in there. It's a way to stay connected to know what's really what's taking place. But in there, there's an opportunity that we presented for a new ministry, and that new ministry is takes place on Wednesday night, and we are looking to actually provide a meal. For kids and for some of the parents that are here and the workers that are here, we want to provide a meal here um, on Wednesday night. We need a team of about three people that might be willing to, to kind of take hold of that and, and, and go with that. But, but I'll say it this way. The act of serving that meal, cleaning up after that meal, do we recognize that that is as much of an act of worship as it is coming here on Sunday morning and singing praises to God. Do we believe that? Or do we value something more? Just We say it's only music. But maybe the broader question is, do we value worship? Is it taking place in numerous ways in our lives, both corporately and as individuals? So as you came here this morning... Was there any thought of going, I want to come and I want to worship the king? Or or was it just kind of a a stubborn, well, let me put a little cartoon. Well, look at Mr. Grumpy Pants. (laughs) Look around, is there any grumpy pants here today? (laughs) See, see, do we come expecting to worship God? Uh, Let me give you the main point for this morning we are called to worship the triune God. And it is to be a delight and a duty. Now, I've said this before numerous times. Every one of us worships. Everyone here worships. Matter of fact, if you went to a restaurant after the service today and you looked around at all the other people that are sitting there, do you understand that every one of those, they are a worshiper? even if they don't know Christ. They are a worshiper. But the question is, to whom are they giving their worship? Or to what are they giving their worship? See, that's the question in worship. Who? And as disciples of Christ, we are invited and commanded, even in a duty sense, to worship God only. Matter of fact, let me put... Some Ten Commandments, some of the speaking that was going on to Moses. Exodus chapter 20. Look how it's written here. He's talking to Moses and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What's he saying? God says, I alone am the one to be worshipped. And he goes on, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth. Or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. See, we're called to worship God. Not stuff, not other pieces, were called to worship God. But I don't know if you've, you catch this, worship is even connected to the fall of mankind. When mankind sinned, when they walked away, worship was included there. And if you even took one step back, you would see that worship is inherently built in to the first sin of all of creation. And it comes, let me show you this, Isaiah chapter 14. The first sin was not Adam and Eve. We had a new program here, so it's kind of glitchy here a little bit in terms of, is that going back and forth? Let me read this. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Now, this is about Lucifer. As he was turning away from God... See, he saw God, and he was, God was being worshipped by his creation, but because of the deep love for himself, he wanted creation to worship him. He wanted to get worshipped just like God was getting worship. And understand this, the lie in the garden to be like God ultimately comes into play there, is that if we're like God, we can be worshipped like God. And at times people want to worship themselves. Let, let me show you the text in this. Romans 1.24 Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you catch that? Everyone worships. It might be self, it might be stuff, but the call is to go, we will worship God. But let me continue digging here a little bit and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 92. There's a text I want to just walk through and we want to pull out a few things in terms of worship. Worship. Uh, and, and what I'm going to do is, I'm not going to read the text first, um, we're just going to um, kind of walk through these verses and uh, and, and really just kind of dig them out as we go through. Psalm 90, 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day, okay, this is a corporate thing, this would have been done corporately. Look what it says in verse 1. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. Now, when he asked the question, why worship? Why worship? Number one, if you're following along in the outline, I said this It is good to worship. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name. It is good. There's a worthiness. It is good. But but catch this, it can be delightful. Now, I understand the word good. We can understand that word in a couple of different ways. One of them is good in terms of it's a delight. Okay? But there's another way to look at it. We kind of use it this phrase this is good for you. That phrase. Because at times as parents, you know what we say, this is going to be good for you, but kids are going, no. <laughs> I, I think back uh, when I was very young, there were a couple of times when my mom would say, this is good for you. And you didn't view, I didn't view it as good. Uh, a couple of times, not a whole lot, but my mother gave me castor oil. Okay, some, I don't think they use that in children raising anymore. Does anybody use that as parents right now? Okay, castor oil, I, I would put it this way. My mom said it was good for me. Okay, but if you're a teenager or an elementary student here, don't ever let your parents give you castor oil. Okay, <laughs> just run out the door. I'll give you permission as fast as you can and, and go a different direction. And I suppose, though, it was good for me. But, folks, the nature of worship. To pause and to express things to God. Yeah, it can be good for us, but that's it more than that. It is to be a delight. A delight. A delight. And there's a sense where worship, yes, I know is toward God, but it doesn't have to be out of just, oh, it's good for me it actually can be delightful and it benefits us in one sense. Do we ever sense that in worship, that it is good and delightful? But see, maybe a question needs to be thrown here. When was the last time that you paused and maybe went for a walk? Or or you found a room just to sing as loud as you can to God? You just you stop and you're praising him. You're talking to him. You're telling him how much you love him, even in song, even if you can't sing. You know, singing there's a place. Even if you can't sing, you need to sing. And I don't you realize again. I've said this before, but God hears it at a perfect pitch, even though you're off. He has this pitch meter that it goes through, and for him, it comes out perfect. But we need to slow down our lives at times and give him value from the depth of our souls and it feeds us in that sense. But I want to move forward here. I want to jump, skip a couple of verses, then I'll come back. Look at verse 4 and 5. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts if you're taking notes, I said it this way, we're called to respond to God's activity in this world. The writer's saying that God is revealing himself all through creation, and we're called to pause and go, God, where are you working? If any of you have ever done experiencing God, Blackaby in that studies really kind of hammers the people that go through that and says this, stop and look around and see what God is doing, and then join Him. But at times, even as we watch God work, we're called to pause. And at those moments, go when we see God work, can we stop at that moment and say, God, thank you, you're working in this world. Do we look at the creation we see His greatness, His beauty? Do we sense His love? Do we sense His mercy? Do we catch that as we stop and ponder what He is doing? And again, I think that question for us is, do we slow down long enough to just watch and ponder that, and just say, God, you're active. Would you reveal your activity to me? Let's keep going. Look, at, I'm going to jump back now to two and three. Look how it says here, proclaiming. This is in the midst of corporate Proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. To the music of the ten-string lyre and the the melody of the harp. For your notes, I said number three this way. It reminds us of who he is and how he relates to those he loves. Folks, a couple terms there. He relates to us. See, worship calls back to his character. He's a God who relates, who gives relationship. Now, let me just pause and and give a... I, I just need to go down an alley here. And the issue of music. And he talks about using instruments, the melody of a harp, with that praise and that faithfulness commenting about God. I think this is true. Uh, Instruments were given to benefit our worship. I, I really do. Because there's a place when you take music and you couple that with with truth and poetry here at times, even in the Psalms, that it adds to the weight of the expressions of who God is, and even it it speaks to our souls in a, in a unique way. It forces us to slow down and think about God and how He relates. That's why I think music is important. See, music expresses things that I think we forget, and oftentimes when you when you think of even just People who don't know Christ, but they're singing about oftentimes about relationships, about people out there and and loving people and whatever. You understand? It fits there. Now, if country music, I'm not sure that applies to country, okay, but they're talking about their dog and their broken relationship. Um, Okay, for your country lovers, you're throwing spears at me right now, but that's all right. But there's a couple of relational components. In this verse, in two, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. So in your notes, sir, I said we just we need to remember His love. See, the psalmist here, he knew the character of God. God is a giver of love. He's a lover, and His faithfulness. You think of that quality, faithful. He doesn't abandon His people. He's a constant. He's a constant in our lives and we are to proclaim his love in the morning and his faithfulness and in the evening and we add instruments to it and we do that as well. But let me push farther. Another piece here. And I want to kind of get this by reading the next verses. Look at verse 6. Now, by the way, this is poetry and it probably was sung. Okay, Verse 6. Senseless people do not know Fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evil evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But the Lord, but you Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish, all evildoers will be scattered, you will be exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. Now at first glance, and when I was first digging into this and looking at a couple commentaries, there's a few people that went like this. They are actually praising God for wiping out the enemies. God's dealing with the wicked. Praise God! Praise God! He's, he's taking care of them. Praise God. Now, I'm not convinced that's the right way to look at it. God doesn't take delight in punishing the wicked. There's another relational piece, I think, that comes out of this, of these statements, which we are to respond in worship. Let me fill in the blank for you. I think it's this. He is on our side. He's on our side. The wicked are here, but we have God on our side. See, the world doesn't... And when we say that, the world doesn't like that. They would look at us and say, boy, you're really arrogant to say that God is on your side. But folks, God chooses. And he looks out for his people. And everyone are not his people but he doesn't just stand back and ignore what's going on he chooses he chose the nation of Israel and because of our righteousness through Christ we are his people and God is on our side the Father Son and the Spirit is on our side And that is really good news that deserves worship to God. You know, we live in a world that celebrates wickedness and perversion. But we really don't have to fear. We can actually worship God rather than fear. We don't have to shrink back. We can worship. Why? Because He is on our side. Now, for the wicked, their wickedness is rooted in their unbelief in their desire to be autonomous from God. They don't want to come under the the authority of God. They want worship themselves. They don't want a relationship with, with Christ. But He is on our side, and we are called to respond to Him because of that. But let me keep going here. Look at verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Let me give you a point four. Worship reminds us of the blessings that he gives us. The blessings. The blessings and of our righteousness that is eternal. See, that's the benefit of God being on our side. But there's this, I need to show you a bit of a contrast between the wickedness and the righteous. Look at verses 12 and 7. I'll hold them up together here. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. In verse 7, that though the wicked spring up like grass, and all the evildoers flourish. So you got two kind of illustrations here. You got the palm tree, and you got grass. Grass dies easily, it's destroyed quickly, it can burn up. But a palm tree, catch what is happening here the roots are permanent. And even in verse 13, where is it planted? in the courts of our God. Folks, God takes care of that palm tree. But not only is it planted in the courts of God, it bears fruit. It bears fruit, even all the way up into old age. And for us that are a little bit older, that's really good news. That fruit can come of our lives even as we get older. But it's because we're sustained by God, who is good. But the wicked flaunting God, shaking their fists at God, wanting to be worshipped by themselves. They don't want to give any of their worship to God. They want it for themselves. They're going to be burned up. God's going to deal with them. Maybe not now, but in the future, when His time is right. See, we are called to remember the permanence of our righteousness in Christ, that we are in the courts of God, that he's the one that's planted us there. And the response to that should be celebration and worship from our hearts. Let me go down one path to finish here. What do you do when life is not working? When we stop and we compare and we see this happening and this, and and it's not working for us, things aren't going like we like. Do you know the the tension again at those times when it comes to worship? When, When it's not going well, we want to pull back from worshiping God. Oh, my life is so bad. How can I worship God? And I really think it's missing the point. At that point, if we aren't... Ever worshiping the point becomes us and what's happening with us. See, worship turns our eyes and it causes us to see his grace and his goodness, his permanence, his faithfulness. It calls us to remember that He's His rock, He's He's our rock in our lives, even when things are bad. Let me show you a verse. From Job again. And I've had this up here before, once before. And I used this, I think, the last time we talked about worship. But it's such a powerful picture. Of when things don't go well. Look how it goes. Job 1.18. He, he, things are not going well for Job. And when he was speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You know what would we do if somebody came running to us and said, "Ken, Andy, and Bethany and their families are all—they died." How would I respond at that moment? Anger? Look at the response of Job, verse 20. Then Job arose and he tore his robe. Now that picture of that tearing of his robe again is the idea of complete despair, anguish. He felt the pain in his life. And he shaved his head. And he fell on the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with, with wrong. See, what was it that Job was able to say, Job, you've, you've taken all of your family away. They're gone. They're out of the picture. And he responds by bowing before God and saying, God, I'm going to worship you. And I think it's this. He understood what that writer in Psalm talked about of God being the rock. The constant. That life wasn't ultimately about him, but it was about God, the Father, the Son, Spirit. See, we have the the ability, if we are disciples of Christ, to actually worship even when times aren't going well. And we're called to that. We're called to that. See, when we gaze at him, it begins to redirect our hearts toward him. We start to look and see what he's done, his constancy, his love, his faithfulness, even if he removes some things from us. Here's our I'll close. I want to just to throw a challenge out to you, everyone here today this week how about taking a date with Jesus take your bible read some extended scriptures look at some of the psalms but look and gaze to him see as we do that and we start to do that on a regular basis you understand that Jesus and spending time and worshiping our father the son and spirit can be delightful it feeds our souls. And he, and he works in us. He says, Ken, I'm constant on your rock. So take a date. Make a date with Jesus this week. Spend some time with him, even if you're in the midst of chaos and pain and discouragement. God will meet you, and you can still worship. Let's stand and pray.